Hi folks, I'm Alan Watch and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on October the 16th, 2012. For newcomers, you should look into the website to make good use of it, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. You'll see a bunch of sites listed there. There's, these are the official sites. They all carry audios for free download and they carry transcripts for print-up in English. If you want transcripts in other languages, try Alan, Alan Sentinel.eu and take your pick from the variety offered there. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't take on advertisers as guests and uh, give you a lot of drama. I just give you the hard facts, which aren't very pleasant, but that's what it's all about, is who can handle the truth and who can't, you see. And also, I don't get advertising money uh, from any product sold, and I don't... Um, have shares in any company that makes money off things that are getting sold either. So I just give you the hard facts and keep it straight and simple and uh, give you the evidence for it too for what I talk about. So it's up to you if you want to keep this going and you can do so by uh, getting behind me and uh, donating or you can purchase the books at cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And from the U.S., remember, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order or send cash, or use PayPal. It's up to you. And across the world, Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal. And straight donations as well, remember, are really, really uh, in, in short uh, <laughs> supply at the moment. It's going to austerity, of course. And austerity is part of your big agenda, 21, and the redistribution of wealth. That's what's really happening across the world. That's why the banks collapse when they had to. They could have kept them going forever with the con games, because they've always been based on con games. But it was time, you see, to really put this forward. And out of it came what? To help everybody in your own country? No, out of it came redistribution of your wealth across the world via all the organizations of the United Nations. And I'll touch on that tonight. Everything is deception. Even the left wing at the bottom get fooled because uh, they are the army, of course, to promote all of these sustainable developments, goals, etc., etc. And they have no idea that at the top there's a clique of people who have an awful lot in common with each other, an awful lot in common with each other, and they also work with the banks closely, and their whole future is based on central banks, big private banks running the world with this massive superstructure of government agencies ruling over your lives, uh, right down to austerity, which is poverty, the equalization of austerity across the world, and they're teaching you now what poverty means. That was all part of it. They talked about the 1950s. They wrote books about it. So they put lots of information from the United Nations out there. And in the 1970s, they, they through their own foundations, again, they, they put lots of details of how they're going to do this out. And once again, I've got an article here tonight I'll touch on in a little minute. 
to do with uh, the same organization and the plan, the big plan that you're living through and you're meant to believe it's all happening through bank crashes, etc., etc. You have no idea how much of your money has been screwed out of you to throw across the planet. It doesn't get to the people at the bottom. It goes to corporations that build factories and plants across the world, their own ones. They're international corporations, remember. That's the world and the con behind sustainability and the green movements and all the far-left movements. And, of course, it's only the ones near the top are in on the higher truth of it. And they do it very willingly, of course. They've done it for a long, long time. Some of them call themselves Marxist and uh, uh, neo-Trotskyists and so on. All the different things that they love to join and belong to. Most, most of them want to belong to something. But when you belong to something, you've got to take all their information, all their agenda, and, and accept all of it. Even the parts you might not personally agree with, you must accept it all and be on board with all of it. That's standard United Nations policy for all these organizations. Back with more after this break. Folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system we're born into and has been on the go for an awful long time on the same agenda. There's many branches of it, but they all end up on the same road. The right wing belong to it at the top, and the left wing do at the top as well. That's that's a dialectic uh, that you're you're trained by, basically the left and right, and they come to the same. Ends. Why do you think right-wing parties sign all the, the, the big uh, documents from the United Nations? Why do you think they do that, including the redistribution of your wealth, etc.? Why do you think they do that? Hmm? So the big bankers at the top that, that formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs out of the Milner Group, it is morphed into the RIIA and the Council on Foreign Relations across the whole planet. They run every president and prime minister, except for the ones they haven't bombed yet, and, and then they shortly finish them off too, and stick in their central bank, privately owned, and they'll borrow money from the IMF and the World Bank, and they'll be in debt forever. That's how we ruled, you see. Great trick. And at the same time, when you when you really are helping these other countries by other means, uh, they, they start to take your paycheck off you at the bottom because they call you privileged, you know in the Western countries. It doesn't matter if you're living in a shack, you're called privileged. If you pay your taxes for your shack, you're still privileged. But anyway, um, that's how the con game works. It's, it's not to help anyone at the bottom at all. It's all a mass con game run by the few at the top who have a, um, they believe they have a mission in life, put it that way. Uh, a very old mission, actually. And they have a lot in common, as I say. Now, this article here is about... Um, the green path is called the UN's virtuous green path leads straight to mass death. Folk don't think about that. They think it's all to do with handing out chocolate bars from the PR departments of the United Nations. But no, it's a big, this is the big communist form of takeover for the world. So it's the bankers and a small fascist elite can rule over the world easily with the communists and all their bureaucratic departments running all of you. If you haven't figured that out yet, you see. You have to read all their articles. It goes way back, you see, way, way back to the League of Nations. And they just simply morphed into the United Nations. They need wars to get both of them going, by the way, and they brought the wars on. Anyway, it says, all arms of the scientific dictatorship appear to move in unison. As of late, we hear repeated calls for deindustrialization of the developed world by the global elite. Well, they've been saying that for 40 years. 
in addition to an attempt is made to, by the elites to integrate so-called population issues, this reduction issues, into other issues such as poverty, climate change, and other phantoms of doom necessary to fulfill the ancient eugenic utopia for the guys at the top, that is, who are different people, with the objective of plunging mankind into a new agrarian age and depopulating the planet while they're at it. The global elite have to set up a, a broad approach, which self-described uh, eco-socio-economist econo- economist, Professor Ignacy Sachs has used, euphemistically dubbed a virtuous green path, more commonly known as Agenda 21. Now, Sachs, I'm not surprised he's still living. This guy has been on the go. Uh, he was born in the 1920s. And in Wikipedia, of course, and other articles, it talks about who he, he, he was a Polish Jew who ran off to get to, away from when the Hitler went in with the Germans. And he went off to South America with his family. And then he trained there and then came back to Poland when it, the communists moved in because he was a communist by heart. And uh, he, he was involved in the United Nations for years during the, the Cold War with the same agenda with all the other ones working on, doing, on the left path. Left path, as I see, meets with the right path down the road, you see. Because, you see, at the top, they're not against banking at all. The present banks that we have, this this old agenda by the Royal Institute for International Affairs to put their own banks, these private central banks across the world, running the whole world. That's what you have with Europe right now. And that's a big, big stick now, is, is money, the power of the purse, they call it. And so that's how they get you to do whatever they want. New laws, why well, you have to pay it up? It's a new law, you see, it's law. And they run the legal system. Anyway, it says, a 1991 policy paper prepared for the UN Conference on Environment and Development, at, it's called UNCED, UNCED, outlines a strategy for the transfer of wealth in the name of the environment to be implemented in the course of 35 to 40 years. Now, they always give you a, a, a bigger uh, timeline than they actually use. They've been actually implementing it all along. Because I've got articles exactly the same as this from the 1970s. As it turns out, it is a visionary paper describing phase by phase the road to world environmental dictatorship. As Professor Sachs states in his paper, to be meaningful, the strategies should cover the time span of several decades. 35 to 40 years seems a good compromise between the need to give enough time to the postulated transformations and the uncertainties brought about by the lengthening of the time span. In his paper, and the link is on this, I'll put up tonight, the next 40 years, transition strategies to the virtuous green path, north, south, east, global. Sachs accurately describes not only the intended time span to bring about a global society, but also what steps should be taken to ensure population stabilization. That's through sterilization and killing folk off, folks. He says, in order to stabilize the population of the south by means other than wars or epidemics, Mere campaigning for birth control and distributing, uh, of, of distribution of contraceptives has proven fairly inefficient. In the first part of the in, uh, bizarrely accurate description of current events as they unfold, Sachs points out redistribution of wealth is the only viable path towards population stabilization, and as he calls it, a virtuous green world. The reason for it, because the wealth also goes, you see, to create the same departments that you don't know that you have running your lives in government. So they'll have bigger governments in all these third world countries to run their lives for them too. Same type, you see. It says, the way out of the double bind of poverty and environmental disruption calls for a fairly long period of more economic growth to sustain the transition strategies towards the virtual green path of what has been called in Stockholm eco-development and has since changed its name in Anglo-Saxon countries to sustainable development. 
He says, a fair degree of agreement seems to exist, therefore, about the ideal development path to be followed, so long as we do not manage to stabilize the world population and at the same time sharply reduce the inequalities prevailing today, he states. The bolder the steps taken in the near future, Sachs asserts, the shorter will be the time span that separates us from a steady state. Radical solutions must address to the roots of the problem and not to its symptoms. Theoretically, the transition can be made shorter by means of redistribution of assets and income. It says Sachs points to the political difficulties of such proposals being implemented because free humanity tends to distrust any national government, let alone transnational government, to redistribute its well-earned wealth. He therefore proposes these measures to be implemented gradually following a meticulously planned strategy. He says the pragmatic prospect is one of transition extending itself over several decades. In the second subchapter, it says the five dimensions of eco-development. Professor Sachs sums up the main dimensions of this carefully outlined move to make Agenda 21. He was very heavily involved in this Agenda 21, along with Maurice Strong. A very real future prospect. The first dimension he touches upon is social sustainability. The aim is to build a civilization of being within greater equity in asset and income distribution so as to improve substantially the entitlements of the broad masses of population. We're all see masses to these guys, these creeps. And uh, to reduce the gap in living standards uh, between the have and the have-nots. This, of course, means reducing the standards of living in the North, which is U.S. and Europe, and upgrading those of the developing nations. If, see how it ties in with your banking crash, your bailouts, which puts you in more debt, and, of course, uh, putting all of your work and factories across the waters by the same United Nations and its World Trade Organization. The South and East says this would have to be realized through the Sachs, what he calls economic sustainability. That's all you hear now. Made possible by a more efficient allocation and management of resources and a steady flow of public and private investment. So for those who thought communists were not into that, now these, these are the real communists. The real ones, folks. And they're multi-billionaires. He says, the third dimension described by the professor is ecological sustainability, which means the consumption of fossil fuels limits them and other easily depletable environmentally harmful products, substituting them by renewable and or plentiful and environmentally friendly resources, reducing the volume of pollutants by means of energy and resource conservation and recycling, and last but not least, promoting self-constraint in material consumption. Remember, the Club of Rome says post-consumerism. This is on part of the rich countries and of the privileged social strata all over the world. In order to make this happen, Sachs stresses the need of redefining the rules for adequate environmental protection, designing the institutional machinery, and choosing the mix of economic, legal, and administrative uh, instruments necessary for the implementation of environmental policies. That's why they created the EPA, by the way. They've got one in every country now. And the four is spatial sustainability, directed at achieving a more balanced rural-urban configuration. What the communists always do is wipe out and get them off the land, all the, the small farms and the rural people. And that's what Agenda 1 is, is doing with this massive tax increases of private properties, etc. And then putting their big factory farms, because they said that farming is too important to be left to farmers. So they bring in the big corporate farmers. This is not better territorial distribution of human settlements and economic activities. Still decide what you're going to work at and all the rest of it. 
The fifth and last dimension described in the United Nations policy paper is cultural sustainability. Looking for the endogenous roots of the modernization processes, seeking change within cultural continuity, that means destroying the past in your culture. You didn't know. <laughs> it's all been done, you see. Translating the normative concept of eco-development into a plurality of local ecosystem-specific, culture-specific, and site-specific solutions. But to realize such a dramatic new direction for the world, Sachs once again stresses the importance of incremental implementation. A matter of boiling the frog slowly, as all of you, as opposed to throwing the poor animal into a boiling hot cooking pan. It says, even as we know where we want to get, the operational question is, how do we proceed to put humankind on the virtuous path of genuine development? That's their model of, of how you should live. Social responsibility and in harmony with nature is submitted that the UNCED 92 nations should get give considerable attention to the formulation of transition strategies that could become the central piece of the Agenda 21, which has always been updated, by the way, for those who don't know. Back with more on this after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the meetings, reading an article about uh, Mr. Sachs of the United Nations, who has been had a career in communism, and then he moved into, of course he already worked with the United Nations all through the communist era, and he worked all, with all the foundations in America as well, all through the Soviet, the Cold War. And because you see, uh, and of course a lot of the foundations are owned by the big, very big bankers who own your central banks. And that's touched upon here to an extent, to let know a little bit if you understand what you're reading. But the, he goes on to say, Agenda 21, the, UN's, the United Nations strategy for redistribution of the wealth accumulated by the North in order to create a completely balanced world society under auspices of the United Nations, of course, and the private central banks controlling it. This can only come about by destroying the middle class. A sudden redistribution and industrialization would not do for the middle class would undoubtedly rise in defiance against it. Therefore, Sachs argues for an incremental and carefully planned dissolution of the middle class phase by phase. To be mean- meaningful, the strategies could cover the time span of several decades. It could cover. It's already done, folks. It's already been done, most of it. 35 to 40 years, this was in the 90s, it seems a good compromise between the need to give enough time to the postulated transformations and the uncertainties brought about by the lengthening of the time span. The retooling of industries, even in periods of rapid growth, requires 10 to 20 years. The restructuring and expansion of infrastructures requires several decades, and this is a crucially important sector for the point of view of environment. They're talking about infrastructure and expansion of all the government agencies working uh, with the environmentalists and actually the iron viral uh, systems now running your lives and your governments. That's already here across the world. Then Sachs plunges in his most shocking statement. He says, however, the single most important reason to consider the transition strategies over a minimum of 35 to 40 years stems from the non-linearity of these strategies. They should be devised as a succession of changing priorities over time. See, you're given your priorities. You hear them shouted at you from the mainstream media all the time and through your schools. A good illustration is provided by the population transition. 
in order to stabilize the population of the South by means other than wars or epidemics. Mere campaigning for birth control and distribution of contraceptives has proven it's fairly inefficient. He argues an accelerated program of social and economic development of the rural areas should be the utmost priority in the first phase of a realistic population stabilization scheme. Who or what is to coordinate all this according to Sachs, and how exactly is the United Nations to take control? The solution, says Sachs, can vary in terms of their boldness and take the form of global, multilateral or bilateral arrangements. These arrangements should be, as far as Sachs is concerned, ensure at least partially the automaticity of financial transfers by some form of fiscal mechanisms. That's the World Bank, uh, the IMF, folks, for those who didn't figure it out, and through your governments putting money across the waters through these various agencies. It says, be it a small income tax or an array of indirect taxes on goods and services, whose production and consumption has significant environmental impacts. Well, I've already got your value-added taxes, harmonized sales tax, GST in Canada, and so on. So the U.S. has still to get hit with some of these taxes, yeah. Over time, gradually, these taxes should increase, uh, starting the operation with a one per uh, or uh, per 10,000 tax, increasing, increasing it so as to reach one per thousand in 10 to 20 years seems a fairly realistic proposal, the more so that the scheme creates an interesting market for the private enterprises involved in research and development. Well, I've got whole articles on the big carbon industry. In fact, they're just having a meeting coming up, and all the top corporations, by the way, are in on it. And it says, reading all this question as to what entity should take charge is not difficult to answer. Sachs says, in order to generate maximum synergies between the national strategies and global action, the United Nations should create a forum for the periodical discussions and evaluation of these strategies and research, monitoring and flexible planning facility to put them in a global perspective. The forum should have a fair representation of all the main actors involved, which is governments, uh, parliaments, citizen movements, that's all your NGOs that are paid by the and funded by the, the big foundations, and the business world. Given its importance, it should be lifted from specialized agencies to a central place in the United Nations system. You understand the only way out of this is literally to, 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 to um, literally throw out all your United Nations uh, parties and the ones who work for your government already, and tear up all the contracts if you want to live in the future. It says this almost literally echoes the recants by a recent call, uh, by a group of scientists for the 2012 UN Air Summit to create a sustainable development council within the United Nations system to integrate social, economic, and environmental policy at the global level. The fair representation Sachs is talking about is, of course, only a pretext to get everybody on board. As a Danish text drafted by the, for the Copenhagen conference in late 2009 clearly shows, the IMF and World Bank will always have final say in the construction of any international system. Now, because that's what the Royal Institute of International Affairs said back at the turn of the 20th century. They'd set up the IMF, which they've done. The World Bank they set up early, early on, in fact. Uh, the Bank for International Settlements, so all the big central banks are under them and, you know, as part of them. It's all been done. It says, uh, this almost literally echoes a recent call by the group of scientists for the 2012 Air Summit to create the Sustainable Development Council within the UN system to integrate social, economic, and environmental policy at the global level. And it says, um, the other more sensitive element of Agenda 21 is, of course, to concentrate effort on the part of the global elites 
through multilational treaties and regulations to not only control the populations of the world, but to cull them. That's destroy them, folks. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix. And how are all these policies put in? Remember, it's the power of the purse and law. You see, they also run the legal system. And they get uh, something passed through treaties like emissions, etc., carbon taxes, greenhouse gases, and all these extra corporations that are living off of you and extra taxes are investing it for themselves, getting stinking rich. You see, that's good communism. That's how real good communism works. And, and of course, all that extra cash that you end up paying at the end deducts from your paychecks that you already have until it's going to take half or more your paycheck away. That's what they mean by austerity, bringing you down to how you should be living, you see, without all the frills. You don't really believe it. You don't really believe it will happen. It's happening. It's got, it's got a long ways to go, but it's happening right now. And the rest of it can happen very quickly. Now, the, the, also this... Um, Environmental Markets Association, that's part of it, you understand, the big, big boys, where the cash is, is going to plunder you, and already are plundering you. Environmental Markets Association, and it's, it's, uh, it's got the 16th annual fall meeting coming up, EMA it's called, upon completion of registration. Attendees will be sent a link to, to the list of attendees. And then it's all the companies that are already registered. There's more to come. But it's got everybody in American Carbon Registry, American Electric Power, Argus Media, BGC, Environmental Brokerage Services, great business to be in multi-million dollar, uh, billion dollar actually. It's all coming from you and your government also finances these guys with your cash. Bloomberg New Energy Finance, California Air Resources Board, Capital Power Corporation, CE2 Capital, Challenge PUD, City, the City of Glendale, City of Riverside, Climate Action Reserve, uh, Constellation, Dominion, Edison Electric Institute, EOS Climate, Exelon, Fulbright and Javorsky, LLP, uh, Genon Energy, Gibson, Dunn and Crutcher, LLP, Hannah and William, uh, Hannah and Morton, LLP, Hunton and Williams, Iberdrola Renewables Inc., ICAP Energy, ICF International, uh, it goes on and on, Intercontinental Exchange, and not all the, the big ones, bigs are in there too, Platinum Partners, Platts, uh, uh, Pacific Gas and Electric, Quebec Government Office in Los Angeles. How about that? Quebec Government and Office in Los Angeles is in on this as too. Scotia Bank, big one, it's a big one in Scotia Bank. Uh, Skystream Markets, SNR Denton, Southern California Edison, Southern Company Generation, Sustainable Plans International, the Climate Trust, Energy Authority, Melby uh, Group, Trans Canada, Twin Eagle Resource Management, Van Horn Consulting, and a lot more is, are coming in, and they'll publish that. Because they, they don't like to publish all the big, big ones until uh, the, the, the thing's over and done with. However, you understand, they're all living on this new this new bankroll they've found, which is your tax money to pay for breathing CO2 out, basically. And you get punished for it. That's, that's a con game. The, the, you're, you're, see, it's all been done because you're guilty of something. You're like living. You understand? Very clever. 
And you're all linear thinkers, not not like Mr. Sachs there, you know. He's not a linear thinker. He's been brought up to be non-linear. They can get around all things. You can't. You're trained to go from A to Z, you understand. That's how simple all this is. That's how folk can't figure it out. <laughs> That's quite interesting. I'll put this one up tonight. And there's also one here by... Um, the Council on Foreign Relations, the big, big part of it, because whoever they print is throughout all the mainstream media, because they own basically all the members of the big uh, media outlets, and of course their editors as well. They all belong to the same organization. It says, for U.S. voters, trade is a tough sell. In late September, Mayor Mike Bell of Toledo, Ohio, a city of 290,000, about an hour's drive south of Detroit, hosted a three-day conference for more than 200 Chinese business executives. Like many other cities across the manufacturing belt of the U.S., Midwest, Toledo has suffered over the past decade, during which some 50,000 jobs disappeared and its population fell by nearly 10%. But the depressed local real estate prices that accompanied the downturn have attracted new buyers from an unexpected place. Yeah, it's really unexpected, right? While overall Chinese investment in the U.S. remains tiny, over the past year, one Chinese group spent $3 million to buy and refurbish Toledo's largest hotel, and another spent $2 million on a restaurant complex and nearly $4 million to buy up riverside land. To Bell, Chinese money offers some hope of revitalization for his city, and the meeting, as well as his frequent trips to China, was intended to encourage more buyers. That same week, however, the two candidates in the U.S. president election, Obama and, and uh, Mitt Romney, were in Toledo delivering a very different message. Historically, Ohio's electoral swing state of all swing states. No presidential candidate has won an election without also winning Ohio since Harry Truman in 1948. And no Republican has ever won the Oval Office without carrying the state. Campaign pollsters work overtime to figure out precisely what will sell to voters there, and their message on China was rather different than Bell's. And, of course, both presidents are uh, campaigning to, to sway, you know, the, the, the cattle back home. That's, because that's what they call you folks. If you don't know it, that's what they do. <laughs> and uh, they don't mean what they say, of course. They never do. As we always see, once they're in office and, and the, the, they go off on their, the same agenda as all the rest of them go off, and it's only one agenda, you understand, running the world. But uh, the Chinese are taking over, because that's, that's why we set them up. We didn't set them up. The guys who own you set up China. China had no manufacturing about 40 years ago. We trained in Canada thousands of engineers for China. Mainly, and during the whole you know, communist era, we trained them all here and in the States and elsewhere, and they went back there waiting for their factories to appear, and then they, tr- they signed the World Trade Organization, you, all your companies did it, all the boys who own you, or, or actually they're not the boss, they don't own you, the ones that you see, but the, their masters told them what to do, and they signed that, and all your factories were taken abroad to China, you see. It's all part of the same Sachs agenda, if you, if you can't figure that out. Most of you probably can't, maybe some of you can, I don't know. Because it wasn't Sachs' agenda. The big foundations, Carnegie and all the rest of them, had the same darn stuff printed back in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, 1950s. Same agenda. It never changes. So anyway, it's well on the go. I'll put these articles up tonight and uh, maybe a few more as well on this whole uh, wonderful business that they've got. It's all going to pluck all your money off of you. It's a big stick. 
on carbon. Never mind all the government agencies with the big stick that's going to come down to your home and inspect your private home for leaks and then fine you massively if they find a little bit of, uh, in their meter readings, a little bit of warmth escapes around the window. I'm not kidding about that, folks. That's what Sachs is on about, giving the power to these agencies, which they create, and your governments did create. There's no left wing and right wing here. They all sign the same agreements. One agenda. The left wing and right wing thing is just a fool of you. Because you wouldn't like to believe you're under a, a, a single solitary form of continuous uh, dictatorship or oligarchical uh, dictatorship. Now, part of that too, and I read an article as well from, uh, it, was a, it was a military magazine from an intelligence officer who talked about spreading American culture. It's not American culture, it came from New York and California, as you all know. And uh, it was part of this big agenda too, to, to, to destroy the old culture. And, and I, again, I touched on that, even Sachs touched on that too. That you got to, he said it in a nicer way, but it means destroy the cultures. And in order to control them. Because once they've destroyed them, nobody stands up for anybody else. There's no families. What's left is dysfunctional, etc., etc. But I'll, I'll try and find that article. He said that we would spread this American culture and it destroyed the American society so well that around the world it's a warfare technique. Mass pornography, mass, you know, Madonna, you know, doing her thing with her fingers and all that across the world and bring down all the rest of the cultures with it. That's from... An intelligence officer. And what you get when it's all happened, with a steady diet to this, increasing, 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 just like Sachs does, and you increase and you increase and you increase a little bit of time, and you have chaos in society. And then more government agencies step in to, to handle and clean up the chaos. Mass abortions, mass this, mass that, you know. UK pedophile ring uh, Simon Wynne Davis jailed indefinitely at Reading Crown Court. This is rampant all over the place now. That's part of it too. Brought, they were brought up on this stuff. And it says that the ringleader of a pedophile gang which raped children as young as eight and held abuse parties at a secluded farmhouse has been jailed indefinitely at Reading Crown Court. It's amazing how they can get the guys who aren't too high up on the social scale, but with Savile and so on, they protect them for donkeys years. Years and years, because they're too important. And you see they've got British lords there. And don't forget that Savile was asked in on certain delicate issues for the royal family. He was always boasting about it. And Prince Charles. What did, what did Savile say? He said, I can procure anything. On the videotape. I can, I can get anything. You want it, I get it. Do you understand? So they go after these guys, they get these without a problem. But the other ones, you see, it's a different world up there. Different world, folks. I'll put this article up tonight, plus Jimmy Savile's Top of the Pops pedo ring as well. And uh, for the Top of the Pops staff who worked with uh, shame star Jimmy Savile, also been named as child abusers. The sun can reveal. It's quite amazing because the sun got all what's on the right-hand side of it, same as a male, and you've got all these half-naked young females because uh, that's how they sell and, and, and deculturalize you as well. You've been brought up with this stuff. So there's, there's a kaleidoscopic schizophrenic uh, introduction, pedophile scandal, and all the stuff down the right-hand side. It helps to destroy your culture. But it says um, there was a cameraman and others 
who are involved in the, and there's a lot more than that. Cause I mean, yeah, anybody who's been in the BBC has met all these people and they're all strange ways of walking, you know, and looking at you and, uh, you know, it kind of makes you very uncomfortable and you know right off the bat by their talk, uh, what they're getting at and what they are for those who haven't figured it out. And as I say, Savile definitely had very high connections and he was a procurer. And of course, they'll drop all of that too. They can't let it go too high, you understand. In fact, they're trying to keep it down at the bottom with the cameraman and these guys like that. <laughs> he says, um, uh, all evidence we are hearing points that way. One woman who used to be a dancer says there were at least three members of the backstaff stage at Top of the Pops who used to young girls to parties were horrific and inappropriate things took place. I also heard an allegation about one of the cameramen. And uh, John said, no, no famous names connected with the show were mentioned and none of the men concerned were presenters. He revealed that 25 calls to the charity directly re- referred to Savile. At least one related to Leeds Royal Infirmary, a hospital where Savile worked as a volunteer porter. John said uh, a doctor mentioned as well, who was in on it, who closely worked with Savile, both knew what each other was doing. Savile had his own pharmacist, you know, to get him all the different pills and that for his pals. And, you know, the, the high-ups, you know. Shot BBC presenter Jeremy Vine branded Savile one of the most serious predatory paedophiles in criminal history yesterday. It'd be even worse if they went higher up the ladder. Ex-News anchor Jeremy 47, who hosts the Radio 2 lunchtime show, blasted, uh, this is a complete and utter nightmare. The fact that a person was using the BBC prestige and even maybe BBC dressing rooms to attack young children I find completely disgusting as a father of two young daughters. I cannot believe it happened for such a sustained period. Well, he's been working there all his life, eh? <laughs> anyway, it says, one of the, the, the Savile's little bragging bouts that he used to have, because psychopaths love to brag about themselves all the time, you know. <laughs> but it says, the grubby star openly admitted to picking up a vulnerable teenager in a Scarborough seafront, North Yorks, with her parents just yards away. He described how he pulled the, the girl into his E-type jag, to serve, to save her from huge waves lashing the shore. He went on, the inside of an E-type is not over capacious. He then uh, launched into a, a lurid description of the girl's appearance and went on and said such a start had to mean a good night, reversing back to her folks' car. She downed the window and said she was going off with me and we'd be back later. And uh, she said, right, she instructed, let's go for a drive. Savile, who lived in Scarborough, then told how he drove uh, home and put the girl in his Rolls Royce after uh, the, dia- the, the plan was formed. He boasted the full back seats were a uh, great success. And, of course, seeing her safe from a watery grave, she was duly appreciative. And he, he prowled everywhere for these people. You understand that that's, these are the people who stalk around and prowl looking for their targets. But he also did, went to these hospitals and did a lot of nasty stuff there. The hospitals were terrified because he knew he was connected to the bigwigs, you know, lords and all the rest of it, and royalty. And um, he had a fascination with the morgues where he used to go in by himself. He had keys there too. Uh, you know, dead bodies and things. Necrophilia, of course, was always suggested. And he himself he kept saying that, I'm not necrophiliac even though we like to go and see the bodies. Quite interesting. But then again, you'd be surprised how much this goes on in this society that's totally decadent. The problem is today, uh, society has been contaminated with decadence themselves, and they don't seem in an awful shock about anything anymore. Nothing shocks them, because we've been taken down, because uh, cultures had to be destroyed, according to Sachs and all the rest of these guys that work for the United Nations and the communist systems, and the, which is also the, capital, the top capitalist system, by the way. 
plus a cultural secretary. Uh, it's a good one. Cult, I've told you this for years. Every government since the United Nations was formed has a culture department. Now, if you were all the culture, why would you need a culture secretary to make sure that they, they go along with your culture and then start changing it through entertainment and so on? Because that's, that's their job, understand? Culture Secretary Maria Miller has dismissed calls for an independent inquiry into the, the Sir Johnny, uh, Jimmy Savile scandal. She answered an urgent question on the BBC's response to the scandal on October 15th. Tabled by Conservative MP uh, Rob Wilson, Mrs Miller said she was confident the corporation was treating the allegations very seriously. It had launched a number of... So it's investigating itself. Yeah. It launched a number of investigations into different aspects of the scandal, she noted, and police believe Savile may have sexually abused 60 people at least since 1959. It's a lot more than 60. I mean, he went to the children's home and they had hundreds of young girls and boys and stuff like that. You like boys too, young boys. And there's more and more revelations from folk coming out all the time. It's like an avalanche, you know, keep going, and then all folk get fed up with it because they go back to watching their porn, which is camouflaged as drama and comedy these days. That's what we've got, you see. And speaking of that, I've never heard this this show, but it ties in. It was on this one of the pages they're linked to, it, and it says Sandra Bullock, you know, the actress, and Chelsea Handler stripped naked on Chelsea lately. I guess that's their comedy program. Uh, and go through this repertoire of right down to talking about peeing and stuff like that. It's a newt. And they go through this fake uh, attacking each other stuff. You know. But yes, that's tame stuff for all you lot now. And this article too has to do with... Amazing, I've noticed this because a whole bunch of videos came out over the years, mainly from homosexuals who were advertising to have, find partners so they could cut parts of their, you know, bodies off and fry them up and have a good meal. Not kidding, folks. You know. And then with the, the guy in Canada who ate his partner, you know, the other guy that he ate, and that they bring, spent thousands of dollars to bring him in from Germany where he ran off to. And now they're turning out stuff for comedies. Morrison turns cannibal butcher in a new show. Isn't that wonderful? It hits at the right time. As they push this to bring you down to what necrophilia, as as the as some of the top wigs like uh, that worked in the various communist clubs talked about. It's here. Back after this. Hi, folks. We're back. Cutting through the matrix. And it was Theo Adorno said that through the Frankfurt Institute. It was brought over to the States to help create America, the new American culture. That's it's official, folks. They brought them over and gave them charge of, of create from the president uh, with the Macy group as well and other groups to change American culture. And he actually said we'll bring them down to necrophilia. And I'm talking about here about a new movie that's out, that's coming out with Tamara Morrison. And it's, it's a comedy, of course. I always put through comedy first. And it's all about, you know, cannibals and uh, uh, Dr. Hemi Crane, the cannibal, and how fun it is for those who can't put things together. And then, just before I take a call, being straight is no longer normal. Students are taught at school. And uh, 12 New, New South Wales high schools have been taught it's wrong and heterosexist to regard heterosexuality as the norm for human relationships. So now uh, the big United Nations boys have got it all through your school system. 
and it's pretty well gone. Now, there's Stan from Ontario hanging on the line there. Are you still there, Stan? Hey, Alan. How are you doing? Not bad. I haven't talked to you for a while. How is the weather up there? I uh, had about four, three, four days of solid rain, and the Beaver Dam, which is now over the road, by the way, oh, went, up. Right? It went up almost two feet. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we had a couple of days of rain down here in uh, southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. But uh, your topic there tonight, I uh, I know uh, uh, a retired school teacher and uh, was quite mortified with what's taken place in the uh, education system there now in the in the sexual education aspect of that. It's yep. just quite shocking. Yeah, the agenda that's taken place this year, even in the Ontario schools, right? It's big time. I've seen some of it. The, uh, but I, I, uh, I sent you a couple of articles. The, the, the reason, and I'm, 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 I didn't catch the first 10 minutes of your program today, but uh, uh, you were talking about the CO2, and I sent you some stuff from what's happening. Uh, to concur that that's happening down here, too, we have uh, the St. Mary cement plant down here, which has uh, got uh, businesses, you know, sort of all over North America. Yep. They've... Uh, They've jumped on this uh, CO2 uh, reduction thing, uh-huh. and it's quite—it's quite. I'm amazed they were match. They—they've—they've—they filed for a, a permanent burn per, a permit to burn plastics yep. and and diapers from this uh, company, uh, Org World, uh, out of London. Yeah, and, and and it's amazing that it happened in such a small town in St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. They could pass this carbon dioxide scam off because you know it's an agriculture community, and you think guys would be falling off the farmer tractors and say, "What CO two?" Yeah. But and they did this at the same time. They they hired a bylaw officer in town, mm-hmm. and they got this bylaw officer. You know, he can't smoke in public in the parks anywhere, and yeah. <laughs> he can't have open fires. Yeah. And they banned water bottles. Plastic water bottles out of the education system down here out of the schools. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew that that was hazardous. So now all of a sudden it's okay to burn mm-hmm. 80 tons of plastic. plastic yep. Right? Mm-hmm. In this stack. It's, it's, the only way to describe it is insane, right? These guys literally work out the death rate that they expect to happen and cancers and various things. They work out in advance and they have, a, they have an acceptable economic death rate according to the economic benefits. Yeah, you and I know that. We know that, and your listeners know that. But I also wanted to add in very quickly, CO2WebTrade.com, uh, the Ontario Ministry of Environment, is now uh, doing the uh, trading emissions. That's right. Yeah, and the carbon credits now, right? That's right, yeah. And also, too, remember remember that uh, the, the EU, the Economic Union of Europe, gave out free uh, carbon credits so that the big corporations could start trading amongst themselves. They've been making profits for the last five or six years now off the general public because they're all financed by the general public. It's all passed on to them too, all the costs. It's a great business, massive business, no outlay at all. You pass imaginary nothing's around and just get massive money coming back. But thanks for calling from here. It's from Australia, Canada. It's good night. May your God or your gods go with you.